What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. Here's what's ahead on the final trading day of the year. With everyone expecting major Fed rate hikes next year, what if that doesn't actually happen? Why one strategist says rate hikes could be off the table in 2022? Here's a hint. It has to do with the dollar. And we look at what's next in the crypto space with a Bored Ape Yacht Club holder who tells us why those celebrity NFTs keep flopping. Plus, will energy get hot again? Can the stay-at-home trade get its mojo back? And what do you do with Fang? All of that coming up in Rapid Fire. But first, a quick check on the markets. I'll do the honors today. Won't you join me? Over here at the Telestrator, the Dow is up six points at the moment. The S&P barely higher on the day, and the Nasdaq is down by 30. So our negative session yesterday snapped the Dow's winning streak going into the end of the year. So no real exciting uh, records to talk about there. Still, uh, we're coming off pretty uh, nice performance for the Dow, the S&P, which is uniquely the outperformer. We'll have more on that in just a moment. So we're closing out the major year with a little bit of a whisper. We can take a look back, though, at some of the gains that we've experienced. Uh, here you can see the Dow, the S&P, and the Nasdaq since January. The Dow's up 19 percent. The Nasdaq is up 22 percent. But look at this outperformance by the S&P up 27 percent. So a nine point outperformance relative to the Dow and even doing better than the Nasdaq didn't feel that way for certain parts of the year for sure. In terms of the sectors, a bit of a surprise. Energy was the best performing sector this year after a rough 2020 up 47 percent. So just a monster run. Real estate, the runner-up, gaining 43%. Now, in terms of the Dow components, we can look here to see which was kind of powering the index higher. Home Depot, look at this gain up 56%. Microsoft up 51%. Goldman up there as well. United Health, Cisco. That rounds out your top five. And we're about to book the third straight year of double-digit gains for the S&P and for the NASDAQ. And the S&P is going to outperform for the first time since 2005. Will rate hikes from the Fed derail this rally? My next guest says not so fast. Joining me now is Kim Forrest, the chief investment officer at Boca Capital Partners. Kim, it's good to have you. And you're way out of consensus on this uh, rate hikes or lack thereof, right? I know. And uh, being out of consensus doesn't feel good. But we'll talk next year at this time and see, you know, what actually happened. But what I've been doing is I've been realizing the U.S. is not in a vacuum. And they really do have to pay attention to the strong dollar. While I wouldn't say that um, you necessarily go, oh, the U.S. is an export economy. Exports are very, very important. If the Fed raises rates too fast and out of sync with the other large areas of the world, it could mean for a very, very strong dollar, which ultimately would not help the U.S. economy. And I think the Fed knows that. So, I mean, it's interesting to highlight the risk that a strong dollar could pose from rate hikes. You know, I'm trying to think through the the mechanics of this, though. The bigger concern that you have would be if the Fed is way out front, if they do a lot more, a lot more quickly than other central banks. Yes, exactly. And I mean, that's what I think um, Wall Street consensus is looking for, right? A really quick taper and then three interest rate hikes, although they're not going to be, you know, like really large interest rate hikes, but it still could be meaningful. 
And if China and the EU don't go along and at least um, stop their uh, you know, liquidity programs at a minimum and not follow through on uh, it, interest rate hikes, that could make the U.S. dollar extremely strong. And I think that the Fed understands that. One more point on this. Doesn't it feel like the global central banks will all be part of this tightening campaign, though? It does, but let's see what Omicron brings to uh, their table and what their individual issues are. You know, we are separate parts of the world and, uh, you know, two against one. I don't know. I'd say the U.S. would be odd man out there if both the EU and China want to maintain their low interest rate policies. No, it's a great point. So is all of this wishful thinking as a tech investor, Kim, where we know a lot of people have been concerned about these Fed hikes, you know, the tightening undermining the performance of tech stocks. You like Xilinx, Micron, NetApp, for example. Do you think they can do well in either environment? I do. And I think because it's an underlying issue that they're trying to fix. The reason why I like tech is not for the consumer-oriented Oculus sort of applications. I think at a at the very best, tech gives companies productivity. And and I think, especially after these last two years, companies are rethinking how to arm their workforce to make the people who can and do show up to work even more productive. And that always leads back to technology. Adding to that, 5G is another thing that I think can make companies and people more productive. And I think that rollout as well as whatever applications come across on that to make people more productive, it's just going to explode um, semiconductors. Yeah. So I think that's an easy place to look if you're looking for the future, and the future is semiconductors. You know, obviously tech is your specialty. We talk a lot about that. But what do you make of the other sectors? We just mentioned energy and real estate having a monster year. Is there anywhere that you would definitely want to stay steer clear from or any other areas where you see opportunity? No, but I would look at each of these uh, companies that you're going to put in your portfolio through the lens of technology. How well do they deploy technology? I think that's the question you always want to ask, because that is the thing that could boost a company's earnings, is how effectively they deploy their capital and make it grow. And again, I hate to have a one-size-fit-all answer, but a lot of it is technology to make things more productive. Yeah, I think more people are coming around to that point of view. Kim, thanks so much for your time today. Happy New Year. You too. Kim Forrest with Boca Capital Partners. Well, it was a record year for IPOs with nearly 400 of them pricing. That was almost double the year before. That's the good news, but the bad news is more than half of them are trading below their IPO price, including Lone Depot, Rent the Runway, Poshmark, Oli, and Robinhood. What does that mean for next year? Joining me now is John Martinko. He's president at Drexel Hamilton. John, you watch this IPO pipeline very closely. What are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks for having me on again, Kelly. It it is true that some did not perform as well, but that sheer volume of almost 400 IPOs that did print generating about $142 billion in proceeds was quite significant. And even if we do revert back to the mean and and have uh, like a lower bracket of 200, 250 IPOs, there's still a lot of uh, household names out there, Kelly, that are going to generate a lot of demand. One great example that's out there at a current $140 billion valuation that's that's lurking potentially in 2022 is uh, ByteDance, the parent of TikTok. Hmm. My children, uh, everyone's children uses TikTok religiously. And a lot of the other fintech 
And uh, digital banking companies are going to generate a lot of demand, uh, regardless of the size of, of that is printed. One complaint seems to be that there were simply too many IPOs, which is kind of funny to me because we had, uh, you know, sort of decried the lack of them in the years prior, right? So when there's not enough IPOs, we all say these companies are private for too long and all the VCs are making money. But when there's too many IPOs, then we're upset because they don't perform that well. Yeah. And um, you can probably credit that to a bit of COVID and the sheer volume that passed through again, like almost doubling uh, 220 or so in, in last year to uh, the 400 printed regular way IPOs to uh, video links. And it used to be everyone had to show up at Midtown and uh, Kelly was outside reporting about what was taking place inside and the, and the, <laughs> the message being delivered. And now there is no excuse to generate uh, demand and indication of interest from uh, coast to coast internationally from sending out a video link to get everybody uh, in line with the thesis of that issuing company. And what is even more remarkable, that sheer volume because of probably the efficiencies and just like the last segment of, of being more productive because of the technology, uh, is, is the blank check companies outside of the regular way IPOs that printed this year, six, over 600 blank check companies, and they're averaging about $250 million in proceeds uh, a pop. Wow. Uh, uh, really, really significant volumes there outside of uh, regular way IPO. So we saw over this year to reflect in 2021, over a thousand equity capital markets, new issuance IPO events. Wow. Pretty Let, remarkable. Let's restate this. So over a thousand new issuance equity capital events. So whether it's an IPO or a SPAC, a direct listing, I'm sure I'm forgetting some at this point. Um, is it too much? You know, I, I think that um, going back to your comments about the performance, maybe potentially, however, uh, the, the capital markets is capable and the, the capital is there and the demand is there. I do think we will revert back. Uh, we won't see maybe a thousand, but still, even if we revert back to the mean, we're going to see north of 500 in both regular way and uh, SPAC issuance, blank check companies. And there's a lot of success stories out there. Uh, look at Rivian and, and their backers. Look at uh, the, the successful Churchill series SPACs and the Lucid Motors that have come to market. As long as we still have success stories, we're going to have a lot of demand. Is the SPAC here to stay or are investors feeling burned? Yes. It, you know, the investors, what's really interesting and remarkable about SPACs, not just because they went and and they've had growth of, we did 59 or so, 50 in 2019, and we did 600 plus this last year. Um, the investor's money goes to a trust. So even if they reach their 18 or 24 months uh, window and they do not find a, a, a successful target in DSPAC, there's plenty of notes out there from research analysts that those monies are staying within that asset class system. So even if some SPACs do not find uh, an acquisition company and they don't de-SPAC, like, like some of the success stories we've seen, I feel like that money is going to stay in the SPAC market for that asset class. So we will see a continuation of SPACs. I don't think we'll print 600, but on the low end, uh, 250 to 300 coming up in 2022. Wow. Kelly, we're working at Drexel Hamilton with our clients. We're marshalling. Um, uh, new issuance companies, uh, uh, preparing them for their IPO alongside other co-managers. And it's going to be a very active first half of the year uh, based on our outlook. So it's interesting that the price action so far is not holding back the flows. John, thanks for your time today, especially on New Year's Eve. We appreciate it. 
Yeah, have a great New Year's. I don't know if you have any resolutions, but I'm supposed to eat some more fruits or vegetables or something, so I better get to that. <laughs> I'm trying to get my kids to eat more of that. That's a lot harder. Exactly. John, thanks. Have a great night. You too. Everybody have a great night. Coming up, is Bitcoin about to break out? And will NFTs in the metaverse still be all the buzz? We'll explore the year ahead in crypto right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. This year was a huge year for crypto in terms of mainstream adoption. But Bitcoin's ending the year on a disappointing note with a decline of 18 percent in December for its worst month since May. It's still up more than 60 percent year to date, and it's marking three straight years of gains now. For a look at what's coming down the pike in 2022, I'm joined by John Wu. He's the president of Ava Labs, the firm behind the Avalanche blockchain. John, it's great to have you. I can't say I'm that familiar with Avalanche. Well, happy to be here and happy New Year, Kelly. Avalanche is the fastest blockchain, it's Ethereum compatible, and it's the fastest growing blockchain based on usage. Wouldn't you say in some ways, in many ways, Ethereum was a bigger story than Bitcoin this year? Oh, yeah. From a price action perspective, sure. And from a usage perspective, I mean, uh, Bitcoin was up 65 percent and I think Ethereum was up 500 percent. So, yes, from that perspective and market dominance, Ethereum definitely grew. But that's because there was more usage there on Ethereum. Yeah, explain that. Why is there more usage of Ethereum and how much more do you think it can grow? Oh, listen, I think when I come back in 2022, the asset class, which is roughly about 2.3, 2.5 trillion, we'll be talking about the biggest story in 2022 is how the crypto asset class doubled and went to 5 trillion. And it's going to probably be the only asset class that could withstand the headwind from the macro factors of Fed tightening and geopolitical issues that are out there. And I think the reason is very simple, because from where I see sit, what I see is basically a massive inflow of talent, capital and usage. And listen, I'm almost embarrassed to say that that's a prediction because I'm just reporting what I see on a daily basis. Just the fact. No, I see the talent, obviously, that you reference that's involved in it. It is pretty impressive. The, the size that you're talking about, $5 trillion, that would be for crypto in total. Um, how much do you think Bitcoin would grow versus Ethereum versus some of the newer or you know, more offbeat uh, coins out there? You're going to see continued dispersion under the hood. The outperformers will be the ones that have more activity on their chains. The alternatives like Avalanche 
Um, Bitcoin will probably lose more dominance, even though it's going to grow nicely. It'll go probably to uh, 30% dominance from 40% right now. And if it's a $5 trillion for the industry, that's roughly a $75,000 price target. You have so many more predictions uh, that we want to talk about in the world of DeFi and crypto. You're saying, you know, new blockchains might make a run at Ethereum. Um, more brand names will enter the space. You know, we don't have a ton of time. Give me like three or four names to watch or, or themes that you think are going to be really exciting. Okay, so a couple of themes. Uh, DeFi right now is the largest uh, asset accrual or, or value, but that's mostly for retail. You're going to see DeFi for institutional products. Large hedge funds are going to be partnering with first layer uh, protocols and creating a DeFi for institutional product. Hmm. Gaming is going to be a huge thing. We have NFTs to thank for a lot of adoption. Gaming is going to have next leg of individual adoption from mainstream. It's the intersection of yeah. gameplay, DeFi, and also, um, you know, possibly into the AR, uh, AR metaverse area. Absolutely. It's been the nexus. And a final one. Oh, and a final one. Well, I think we're all familiar with B2C and B2B. Uh, by the end of next year, everyone will know what B2D is, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. It's a collaborative way to build and to organize a company. And the state of Wyoming has already um, uh, put into law and accept that as a legal corporation. DAOs. No, absolutely. We talk about the other DAO, but it's going to be the DAO DAO. I, I'm trying to get into all these DAOs, John, but like, I don't know the right people. I don't even know how to use my Ethereum address. And the gas fees are really expensive. Well, I mean, so if you look at VCs, traditional Silicon VCs and hedge funds, they had the same feeling in the first half of 2021. They were investing only on enablers, the edge players like Coinbase. Now they are saying, how do I get involved, just like you said, into all of these core stuff that's happening? And the easiest way is to basically participate and invest in a first layer protocol where all of this stuff is happening. It's almost like buying an index of yeah. all this great new things happening. No, it's fascinating. You did, this was a great uh, explanation, a very concise one for a huge space. John, thank you so much for your time today. Happy New Year. You too. John Wu of Ava Labs. Now, speaking of gaming, the metaverse and NFTs, the market for digital art and tokens exploded to a record $23 billion this year. And the lines between art and game are blurring. The Board Ape Yacht Club, which just overtook CryptoPunks in price, recently announced they'll offer gameplay to holders. And joining me now is Adam Hollander, an early investor in Board Ape, who just launched his own NFT game, Hungry Wolves. Adam, <laughs> half our audience is going to think this is the coolest thing ever. And the other half is going to have no idea what I'm talking about. How did you first learn about the Board Ape Yacht Club? Well, so when I got into NFTs, it was really the moment when I recognized the potential that they had for just a variety of markets. Um, it's very difficult traditionally with digital assets, whether that be pictures or photos or video or music. You know, when you copy a digital asset, it's indiscernible from the original, and that makes them very difficult to value. And with NFTs, all of that changes. Now you have infallible proof of ownership tracked on the blockchain when a digital asset is sold or distributed. And that has just a variety of implications, very exciting implications for many different markets. Uh, when it comes to Board Ape Yacht Club, like many other NFT projects these days, it's less about buying the asset itself. 
it's much more what it represents, membership into an exclusive community. Sure. And so Board Ape Yacht Club, just as an example, you know, counts Steph Curry and Jimmy Fallon and Snoop Dogg, among others, as members. And if you want access to that exclusive community for networking, or if you want access to the digital or physical benefits that come from it, then you need to be holding one of the events. Yeah, I think about it kind of like the Soho Club or a lot of the popular London clubs, um, but digital. How much would it cost for me to buy in right now? So the least expensive board ape right now is about $250,000. Wow. Okay. So how am I supposed to believe this represents a wonderful vision of the future and not a frat or a social club that I wasn't cool or wealthy enough to join? Well, first of all, Board Ape Yacht Club is one of the most well-known, one of the most popular NFT projects, but there are thousands of them. You can get involved in NFTs for as little as $100 or less. And so there are plenty of other projects where you can jump in and get involved and you don't have to start out with Board Ape Yacht Club. Um, what I would say is that as we inevitably move towards a metaverse, you know, a digital world where people are going to play and learn and interact and conduct commerce, People are starting to care just as much about the way that they represent themselves digitally as the way that they do physically. And when we move towards a metaverse where you have potentially billions of people participating and there's only a few thousand bored apes that can be your avatar as you walk around that world, that is something that I'm personally betting on is going to be a pretty impressive digital flex, so yeah. to speak. No, um, I totally think you're right. I, I absolutely do. Let's talk about Hungry Wolves. I mean, you had a project previously that you sold to Microsoft Gamification Platform. Tell me about Hungry Wolves. What is it? Is it something that I want to buy into right now or is it not quite work like that? <laughs> so Hungry Wolves is a uh, generative NFT project that I'm very proud to have launched uh, just a couple of weeks ago. It's brand new, uh, definitely falls in that spectrum of a few hundred dollars to get in, not hundreds of thousands of dollars. What we're so excited about with it is that it is truly gamified. There are game mechanics that sit behind the project. And so you can acquire a wolf. You then use that wolf to join wolf packs, which are essentially guilds or clans with other holders that hold wolves with similar traits. You can hunt and eat virtual NFT sheep that earn you dominance, which then allow you to upgrade the visual traits of your wolf. You can battle and challenge other wolves that are within the <laughs> ecosystem. And so it goes far beyond just holding an asset. It's much more about your game piece in an ecosystem that can earn you rewards over time and interactions with other players. It sounds fun. When my kids are old enough, they can explain and show me all of this stuff. One quick final question, because we teased it, I want to answer the question. Why are a lot of celebrity NFT projects failing? Well, what it comes down to is it really is about community. And so there is a very, very vibrant community on Twitter, what a lot of folks will now call NFT Twitter, where you can go and engage with tens, hundreds of thousands of people that are meaningfully investing into NFTs for a variety of different reasons. And unless you are a credible part of that community, you can't just come in and launch a project and expect people to pick up on it. Um, people might learn a little bit about it, but you really do need to invest the time and the energy to become part of that community in order to earn the right to start telling people that they should buy something from you. It's so fascinating to hear about it over and over again. It'll be interesting to watch who gets it right and who doesn't. Adam, this was great. Thanks for your time today. Thank you for having me. Adam Hollander. Still ahead, you may have heard of the Great Resignation, but one Harvard Business School professor says the trend will continue and more people than ever are making their side hustles their main gigs. We'll look at what companies need to do to get talent back, and it's not just higher wages. Plus, can you guess the best performing stock in the S&P this year? Producers say, I, I haven't guessed it. They think you can't either. Tweet me at KellyCNBC. We will reveal the name and the other biggest movers right after this. 
Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Exchange. This is it, the final trading session of the year. Dow and S&P both trying to make it positive. NASDAQ has 33 points to climb if it wants to do so. Let's look at the biggest movers of the year in both the S&P and the NASDAQ. We'll start with the S&P. There it is, our big reveal. Devon Energy up 177% this year. Marathon right on its heels, up 146%. Moderna, Fortinet, Signature Bank, by the way, up 140%. Not bad for a financial Worst performer, Penn National Gaming. It's down 41%. That's been a disappointment. A lot of high hopes there. Las Vegas Sands, Global Payments. We've been talking about some disruption there. Activision Blizzard and Market Access all struggling as well. Over in the NASDAQ 100, Moderna is the top performer there, even though it's still 50% off its recent high. Chipmakers NVIDIA, Marvell, and Applied Materials rounding out the top five. And what a year for Peloton. It's the worst performer in the NASDAQ 100 this year. It's down 76%. Ouch. Uh, on its heels, Pinduoduo, the Chinese name, down by two-thirds. Zoom Video down by 45%. Splunk and DocuSign. Tough run for 2021. Now to Rahel Solomon for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. In Colorado, all missing people are accounted for. That's what officials are saying about the area near Denver where wildfires likely destroyed more than 500 homes. They say considering how quickly the fires spread, it is incredible no one died. We might have our very own New Year's miracle on our hands if it holds up that there was no loss of life. Um, we, We know that many people had just minutes to evacuate. Philadelphia, meantime, six people are recovering after injuries after two gunmen fired dozens of shots on a busy street. Police found more than 65 shell casings on the scene. One woman remains in critical condition. Police still searching for the gunman. And in Tokyo, the official New Year's countdown was canceled, but thousands of people still came out to celebrate anyway at the famous Shibuya Crossing. Officials have been urging people to avoid big gatherings because of Omicron's rapid spread. Some revelers, though, say they just needed to relieve a little stress. Can't we all appreciate that? On the news tonight, getting ready for the new school year and why some teachers want the start of classes to be delayed. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly, curious yeah. how parents would respond to that. Yeah, that, but... that sound you hear is screaming, crying, picketing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you name it. We'll see. <laughs> If it goes that way, Rahel, thank you very much. And speaking of which, will energy go two for two in 2022? Will the at-home names get kicked to the curb for good? And would you rather travel trade edition? It's all ahead in the last rapid fire of the year. Next. Welcome back. Last rapid fire of the year. Let's catch you up on a few stories that should be on your radar. This is sort of prediction version. Here to break things down, CNBC's Michael Santoli, Bob Bassani, and Chantua Global CEO and CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez. Welcome, everybody. 
All right. In terms of where to begin, let's start with energy. After years of lagging, years, maybe a decade of lagging, energy rebounded in 2021, had a monster year, best in the S&P, up 46 percent after losing 37 percent the previous year. So should we expect its run to continue, Michael, or should we expect more of this flip flopping? You know, was this was this year the exception to the rule? Well, I doubt it goes from first to worst after going from worst to first. Um, but usually it's tough for the very top sector to repeat unless it's tech. That's been the one exception over the last 15 years or so. Also, energy's not sneaking up on anybody this year. It feels as if it's a little bit closer to a, a consensus trade. That doesn't mean it falls apart because, you know, it has to go up. 15% or 50% rather from this level, the XLE, to get back to the 2018 high. So uh, I don't think it's too extended uh, on a longer term frame. Bob? Well, I think you can make an argument for energy to outperform on a macro basis and on a relative valuation basis. On a macro basis, global demand is probably going to increase in 2022. That's what OPEC said just a few weeks ago. They increased their global demand estimates. Oil is a proxy for global growth. So that makes some sense. On a relative valuation basis, I know energy is the big outperformer this year. But remember, since 2009, the S&P is up, what, 450 percent or something like that? Energy is essentially flat. I know it had a big year this year, but it's essentially flat since 2009. There, there is a lot of room for energy to, to, to move a little bit more. So I'm you know, relatively optimistic about the prospects. And Gina, I mean, also when we're talking about energy, we should note, I, I wonder going forward, I mean, alternative energy, solar, some of the performance that we've seen there, we often just assume, OK, energy, we're talking about oil and gas. Yeah, well, correct. But even just oil and gas, we're still going into this year where we know we're going to have continuing growing demand and we know we have tight oil supplies. So that's also going to help buoy. Now, oil, if you look at the oil price, it's probably about at fair value. So I, I agree that that, you know, it, it, it may not necessarily um, be a smash hit and it's not going to sneak up on anybody. Um, but what we know about energy is that it is very volatile. And so when supplies get tight, you will see an overshoot. And I completely agree that energy has done nothing for 10 years. It's got a long way to dig itself out of the hole. So it's going to be a long time before it's overextended. Wow. All right. So I'm going to say we have kind of some fans here of the energy trade as we wrap up what a stellar year it's been. Let's turn to Fang then, which had more of an uneven year. Uh, the F rebranded to an M. We have to come up with new acronyms. Google led the way up 65 percent. Amazon was a laggard up just three percent. So which stock will outperform in 2022 or how do we feel about the group as a whole, Michael? Because there are some who are, you know, bearish on the whole thing. Others think this is still the place to put your money. Yeah, it's not clear to me that it makes so much sense if it's so coherent to be bearish on all of them, simply because it's not as if all of them did great in the last year or two, right? Amazon kind of lagged uh, for a while. Actually, Apple was dead money for a good part of this year versus the ties from last year. And I will also say, I don't think you need a new acronym because we still use the G and Google is called Alphabet now. So we can <laughs> grandfather in the F. And I actually do think Meta is interesting right here. Uh, I think sentiment is, is somewhat soured for understandable reasons. Uh, it seems as if uh, they almost want to obscure the power of their uh, of their core networks, Instagram and, and Facebook. It's very modestly valued. I mean, nobody doesn't know that necessarily, but I do think it is kind of interesting because it doesn't seem as if it's anyone's true favorite except for some value investors. Now. Interesting. All right. So watching Facebook slash Meta uh, maybe for some catch up or outperformance. Bob, what about you? 
Well, again, I go back to the relative valuation point here. This would be value versus growth. Uh, value traditionally outperforms growth over very long periods of time. This is ingrained in every market historian's head. But the value guys have been getting killed for a decade, and particularly the last five years. It's been awful for them. This may be a good year for them, though. So remember, value is industrials, banks, a lot of pharmaceuticals, some consumer staples. Um, when the Fed is on the verge of raising rates, remember what 2018? Tech tends to underperform because of the cash flow issues, you know, that reduces the, the, the current uh, value of a future stream of earnings. So this is a maybe the year when the value guys finally have something in their favor to argue for. So I'm not arguing for or against these big names, fang names. I'm just arguing a relative valuation that it may be time. If you believe the stock market's going to do well, and I think it will because the consumer will stay strong, it may be time for value to start doing a little bit better over these classic growth names. Gina, do you have these in your portfolio? Do you have a favorite? So we actually own the middle two uh, at Lido Advisors. So we have Apple and Amazon. If you believe in value, and we have seen value have a big surge this month, and that's really kind of on the back of, of what you know Bob was describing. You know, we're expecting interest rates to go up, and it does actually kind of cause us to re re-rate these stocks. Apple actually is the value name of the Fang stock, so you know that that is a name that that has some value. Um, Amazon has a longer-term story. And we believe that story. It has been a real laggard this year, um, but we're still holding it um, on the belief that that, you know, that move to e-commerce isn't going away. All right. Well, let's do a quick pick of the travel stocks, uh, which have had a bumpy ride over the past month as Omicron surges. But take a look at Norwegian, Delta and Marriott as examples. Uh, these are pretty volatile charts for the year. So everybody pick your turbulent travel trade cruise lines, hotels or airlines. Gina, where would you go? So we went with the airlines. We are holding Delta. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that although Omicron is obviously spreading very quickly, it is also showing that um, it is not as, you know, it is not as deadly. If you're vaccinated, it's not as deadly. And so all of those things suggest that people are going to eventually um, shrug this off and, and they are getting back on planes. We're actually seeing a lot of, of, of plane travel expected. And even bookings, if you look at a name like bookings.com, is also getting rated up uh, because because people are going back to traveling. Yeah, Bob? Yeah, so again, look at what the market is telling us. The Dow Jones Hotel Index, there is one, actually is outperforming the S&P this year, believe it or not, Kelly. It's up 31%. The S&P is up 27%. Companies with exposure to China, of course, like Las Vegas, Sands, Wynn, are not doing as well. The airline index is actually flattish to slightly down this year. All right, what is this telling us? It's telling us that the hotel people, particularly local travel, is expected to do very, very well. Airlines a little more iffy. And I think that's a reasonable read. People are still a little uncertain about what's going on. Look at the, the cruise lines here. So I'd go with that moderate position where I, I think travel is going to be up there and moving around. The longer distance travel is a little bit still up in the air. All right, Michael, what about you? I was also going to mention hotels, mostly because they're not such sensitive barometers to every little twist and turn of the pandemic. And they're, they had better returns. Those businesses had better longer term returns than airlines and cruise lines, you know, in the pre-pandemic times. 
They also have not done as much dilution and damage to their balance sheets uh, over this period. So it seems as if uh, it's less of a, a binary bet on just more or less uh, travel, even though those might be better trading stocks, the cruise lines and airlines, the hotels are probably uh, somewhat more interesting as a whole. Yeah, and there they are today, all outperforming almost uh, to make your point. All right, so let's close things out with some of the most controversial names of the year. The stay-at-home names that have been hit really hard. Zoom, Peloton, Teladoc, Chegg, all down more than 40 percent. Peloton getting a downgrade from JMP to close out the year. They're saying customer interest is slumping. But with these big declines, should people be looking, Bob, to uh, pick them up on the dips? Yeah, didn't we talk about this earlier in the week, Kelly? I mean, Peloton <laughs> and, and Zoom, the greatest, two greatest work-from-home stories of all time, handed to them the amazing uh, what, what, the advantages they had from the work-from-home story, and they still don't make any money. And this was the peak for them right now. At Zoom, at least makes money, but I think it's trading for 40 or 43 times 2022 numbers right now. And they're probably going to go down. Their earnings numbers are probably going to go down. So, again, even with Zoom, people aren't going to go away. But this may be peak Zoom as well. We don't know. It's still going to be a viable business. So my, my point is, heavens, this was the best environment for, for those three companies uh, that you could possibly get in the last two years. And two of the three don't make any money. Gina? Yeah, I, I, there are problems with each of these stocks. I'm going to pick on Zoom and Peloton. Zoom is fighting against competition. Never mind that Microsoft has been upgrading Teams. Um, and, you know, we, there are other options to Zoom um, that are integrated into already kind of fixed pricing. So that is always was always going to be a challenge for them. We're owning Microsoft rather than Zoom. Peloton, you're just fighting against natural kind of laziness. At some point, you kind of quit your scheme. Everybody's going to take up their <laughs> New Year's resolutions. You're going to do it for like a month, and then you're going to hang your clothes on it, and you're going to get rid of it. I still kind of want one, Mike, but maybe <laughs> then I can fully live out the trajectory of being excited to get it, using it for a while, and then <laughs> realizing Gino is right. <laughs> I had a similar pang uh, to do that, Kelly. And partly uh, the, 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 the lure right now is that it doesn't feel like you're just being a lemming and doing what everyone else right. is doing. It feels like me. it's almost yeah. like, out of fashion a little bit. Um, so maybe that's maybe that will help down the road. I think that one principle, though, you should follow in looking at any of these is just forget the left side of the chart. Forget where the stock came from. It has no relevance going forward. It got way over, you know, they overshot tremendously to the upside. When it comes to something like a Chegg and a Teladoc, though, Clearly, they had something going for them longer term in educational software uh, and, uh, and telemedicine beyond what was going on uh, during COVID. So that's where you can evaluate, you know, the longer term trends and how the stocks are valued relative to it. One final point with Check. I remember they pointed to some weakness recently in a quarter because teachers were assigning less work mm. and basically not having kids, uh, you know, hold to mm. such standards. Maybe that's something that finally can change getting out of this, uh, this, this pandemic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. People are going to need a long period of, I think, getting back into the swing of things. Mm. Guys, we'll yeah. leave it there. Thanks, everybody. Michael Santoli. Bob Bassani okay. and Gina Sanchez for this final edition Happy of Rapid Fire. Happy New Year to all. Happy Coming up from big boxes to burritos, Goldman's top picks for 2022 next. And as we head to break, the S&P saw the second highest number of record closes ever in 2021. We had 70, which means 28% of trading sessions finished at a new high. The number one year, by the way, was 1995. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Goldman is out with its list of top five stocks for 2022. First up is Amazon, which they say will keep leading in e-commerce, cloud computing, and media consumption. So that's their fang pick. Next is Walmart. Guess Amazon and Walmart can both do well. Goldman's expecting Walmart to gain market share in U.S. grocery. And Walmart, by the way, flat this year. Nike also making the list thanks to pricing power as inflation remains a top concern. And restaurants, Chipotle a top pick. Again, a leader in technology in the restaurant industry. It's up 26% this year. And finally, Boeing. The firm backing Boeing as they expect a rebound in new aircraft orders as air travel will keep recovering. Boeing down 6% this year. For more details on the picks, you can visit cnbc.com slash pro. And still ahead, this year's ending, but the great resignation is not so much. What companies need to do to get people back? Next on The Exchange. Welcome back. The labor market is so strong that the great resignation is still going strong. 4.2 million people quit their jobs in October. The fourth straight month exits were above 4 million and just below September's all-time high. So what can businesses do to retain their workers? Joining me now is Ethan Bernstein, Associate Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School. Is the answer higher wages like the journal's front page story the other day? So from what we're seeing in our data, the 2022 war for talent, whether it's the great resignation or the beginning of the great attraction, it isn't going to be one on the same dimensions as the past. Yes, organizations are offering progression, raises, perks, promotions. People want progress. And mm. that progress, thanks to 20 plus months of a pandemic, is much more individual and idiosyncratic than it was before. But progress has always been something that you know, you need to show people in their careers. You move them up a position, you start to talk about, you know, a future that they, why would this suddenly come to the fore with the pandemic? Because at least from what we see, most of people aren't looking for that kind of progress, Kelly. Many are quitting because going to work and getting those perks is like going to a restaurant, ordering sushi and getting cheesecake instead. Yes, they're both good, but it's not what they're looking for. They might be looking for flexibility. They might be looking for a different kind of office or virtual office. They might be looking for all kinds of different things that are more of a human-centric, idiosyncratic view than many organizations are willing to take on recruitment, job design rewards, and most importantly, as you point I mean, out, development. Does it come down to commutes are a pain? Most offices, the way they're set up, are a pain. You know, People just aren't thriving in these environments. And if they don't need those annoyances to do good work, they just prefer to do it at home. And maybe that opens new opportunities. Well, so let's let's talk about some of the trends. And, and you know, it might just be pajama pants will still be in in 2022. But but beyond that, how do we know? Well, people analytics is going to help us know uh, work tech, the likes of I mean, dozens of unicorns and growing is going to help us know maybe seeing offices, as we've said, as add ons rather than as the main is going to help us know. Um, but also, honestly, Many people are looking for flatter organizations. So organizations who are getting better at flatter are going to do better, we think. Um, and as well, it's, it's a bit of this, well, why not just ask and deliver, not as a survey, not as a group, not as an organization, but individually. Why not try to help workers see their progress as their own rather than the organizations? And that might even mean accepting this, this trend towards side gigs becoming the main gig. Sure. So one thing I wanted to bounce off of you is what about those who left their jobs and found that they were not better off because maybe they tried to start a company and it didn't quite pan out or they realized 
working for themselves was harder than working for someone else. You know, that's just one piece of, of what's been happening here. But do you think we could see this boomerang effect of people saying, actually, maybe that job wasn't so bad? Boomerangs has been a thing for a long time. It could very well be a trend of 2022 or 2023. Most of what we're seeing isn't that people want to boomerang back just the same way they don't want to go back to pre-pandemic times. They actually have learned something about themselves and what they want and want to move forward. That might mean going back to their old employer with a different role and a different set of criteria, or it might mean finding someone new to pair up with because a global talent market has given them opportunities that extend way beyond the street, state, even country that they're currently geographically located in. It's going to be interesting. It is. And and what about Zoom fatigue? It's a real thing. You know, people are trying to figure out what kind of blue tinted eyeglasses they need to deal with. I mean, the, and now I see commercials for this stuff all the time that's specifically marketing to the person working from home who has dry eyes and all these problems. How, you know, what is the next evolution of this going to look like? Some people have bought their blue glasses. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's It's no different than those who were in office spaces who found that their fingers hurt and they needed ergonomic keyboards, ergonomic desks. Um, Where people decide to invest might be a sign of fatigue. It actually, though, might be a sign of where they'd like things to work. So how does that compare to the commute? It's going to be individual. That means different organizations can win at different things. But by and large, this is going to be a zero-sum game because there's a limited number of workers, as you pointed out at the beginning of the segment. So... It's, it's, I think we're going to try to solve on all fronts, not yeah. just one. I like what you said. It's not just about wages. It's about flatter organizations, a sense of, you know, your purpose, a flat, you know, there's a lot of characteristics here that, that people can work on. Ethan, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kelly. Happy New Year. You too. Ethan Bernstein of Harvard Business School. Up next, malls were hot and secondhand was not. We'll dig into the 2021 retail rift. The exchange will be right back. Welcome back. Retail outperformed in 2021. The retail ETF up 40 percent. But if you get a little more granular, two very distinct investing trends emerged in retail. Courtney Reagan is here with those details. Court. Hi, Kelly. So the XRT retail ETF 40 percent gain is actually its best since 2013. And while some retailers did grow by triple digit percentages this year, reinvigorated after the depths of the pandemic, not every name participated. Investors focused on proven profitability rather than sales growth or future potential. And while many doubt the future of the mall, a number of tenants have banner years. Macy's growing a record 135% this year. It's a top pick for Cowan and Company for 2022 as well. Dillard's nearly 300%. But investors have little patience for a Nordstrom's execution missteps. Shares end the year down 26%. That's the worst performance for that company since the year 2000. Bath & Body Works, now its own public company by itself after the Victoria's Secret separation and spin-out, gained 132% and lands on J.P. Morgan and Telsey Advisor Group's top picks for 2022. Signet Jewelers posting its best year ever, up 220%. Kelly, remember, that's the parent of Pandora and Jared, a lot of those mall jewelers. And while Walmart put up impressive quarterly results, investors passed it over. Shares flat in 2021, its worst year since 2004. The hyper-growth e-commerce players fell well short of their hype and the potential that they may have. Even the biggest e-com play of them all, Amazon shares, grew only 3.5%, its worst performance in a decade. 
Chewy shares dropped 34% in 2021. And resale may be very hot for millennials and Gen Z, all those that love ESG and the idea of selling old things new again. But investors aren't impressed. Thread up Poshmark, they went public this year, joining the real real, but all of them shed between 35 and 59% of their value this year. Wow, it's incredible divergence. Makes it fun, unless you had those stocks. Courtney, thank you very much. Courtney Reagan. (laughs) That does it for The Exchange, everybody. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.